Hi, this is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Bros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create manage and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. And the show is brought to you by Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. The hosts of the show are Jeff Cohen and Randy Frisch. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. And now, here's Jeff, Randy, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Really, we're going to have a lot of fun today. This podcast is going to be all about content distribution. Yeah, that's right. What do we do with content after we've created it? We always talk so much about that planning stage of creating content, sometimes about the experience it's going to live in, but how do we actually get that content out? And there's really no better person to join us today. Uh, Andrew Davis is going to join us. He's a great keynote speaker, speaker. Who's out there writing, you know, really entertaining books on this stuff too? Um, Jeff Cohen is always is by my side. Jeff's from Oracle Marketing Cloud. I'm Randy Fresh. Jeff, maybe you can bring in Andrew because I know you've been a big fan of his since you saw him speak at a great event called Marketing Profs that we were both at. Absolutely, Randy. Thanks so much. Excited to be here for another episode of Content Pros, part of the Convince and Convert podcast network. As you said, I saw. I saw Andrew give a a keynote talk at Marketing Profs B2B Forum last fall, and it made me want to book him as a guest on Content Pros because, as you said, we talk so much about the strategy of creating content, and we don't really talk enough about distribution. And quite frankly, distribution is often way, way more important than the the creation process. Certainly more interesting and more... Uh, one of those things that is not talked about enough. So Andrew Davis, author, keynote, author and keynote speaker, welcome to Content Pros. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad I'm here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on after Marketing Profs. It's such such a great event, actually. Absolutely. So so let's sort of dive right in with some of your thoughts. Basically, you you start with the idea that many marketers are addicted to the spikes <laughs> the spikes of their content distribution that's and right we really want to we really want to start breaking that cycle so yeah i guess just get started and, and tell us how we're <laughs> sure. about this yeah well so i mean uh I, I fell into this trap as well but i mean really uh i i needed an intervention <laughs> like the way you know as a marketer i i always looked at all of my marketing successes based on the the spikes of success so hey we ran a great campaign or we created an unbelievably good piece of content that thousands and thousands of people read or downloaded or watched 
uh, and that was unbelievably successful. And look at the outcome, the amazing results from that one piece of content. Uh, and we, you know, constantly sit down and have a meeting about how we could do what we did before again, but different, uh, <laughs> uh, and get that another spike. And and marketers are really that way. I mean, we. I actually looked up the cycle of addiction from the American uh, like Journal of Psychology, and essentially realized pretty quickly that you know as soon as I start creating a piece of content and and hit the the publish button, I really desire this big outcome. I crave that next big success. And if I get a big spike, I have this huge rush of adrenaline, and I get so excited. I take screenshots, you know, of my uh, of the the number of likes on Facebook or the, the number of shares on Twitter and retweets, and and I send those around the office and then you know two days later no one cares what you did yesterday uh your blog post was great yesterday but you know where's your where's your new video today uh and you have to start over you kind of have to go get a pint of ice cream and and really get going again and i think i started to question whether this was really what we should be worrying about and and i also started wondering why we just take a piece of content uh, that we create and essentially put it everywhere. You know, I looked at lots of distribution models from lots of people and essentially it always looks like a hub and spoke. It's like, take your, you know, your PowerPoint presentation and put it on SlideShare. And then on slide, uh, when you've done that, you know, go to Twitter and tweet it 30 times and Facebook it and then paint, you know, put it up on Reddit and dig it and <laughs> Whatever you can do, make a video version of it and put it up on YouTube uh, and then kind of hope for the best. And I, I thought there must have been a good, way, a better way. So instead of chasing that next high, you know, really thinking through why we do this is, I think, a good, you know, a good starting point. You know, do we really want highs? That's right. And, and I think you actually use the, the term vomiting out your content everywhere. <laughs> And, and yeah. so I think I think the the next step in the in your thought process was actually not thinking about the the where of posting your content, but actually thinking about the when. Is that a is that an accurate yeah. way of looking at it? Yeah, I mean it is. Essentially, if you're not going to go after the spikes. Um, you know, you, you have to actually start looking at all the valleys you have. So I looked at lots of brands. I mean, I looked at brands that were doing things on YouTube and brands that were doing things on Twitter and distributing their content just even through email. And essentially, you know, I, I realized that uh, a lot of the successes came from not, <laughs> you know, not... Um, it, not, not worrying about putting it everywhere, but essentially just making sure you're putting it in the right places at the right time, not based on the time of the consumer you're trying to reach as much as it is in the time of the life cycle of the content. Does that make any sense? Or I, I just sound, that sounded so inside baseball all of a sudden. No, I, I, I think that that's exactly what we're that's what we're talking about. It, this kind of is an in the weeds conversation. And, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, and and the life cycle, the life cycle of a piece of content. This is the stuff that content marketers need to hear. So so All right, please good. wait on through the weeds. <laughs> yeah. So so like if you go to your Google Analytics like right now and you look at your Google Analytics, your gut, the way you you've been you know taught as a marketer is to look at every single spike that you see and start evaluating the success of the content recently. But the most successful marketers actually look at the depth of the valleys 
and a, a friend of mine, Brad Schwarzenbach, co- coined this term called valley elevation. And the whole idea was stop worrying about the peaks. Just make sure that your next valley isn't as deep as the valley before it. So I'm drawing in the air, by the way. So Jeff and Randy, if you get excited about air drawing, this is what it is. So I'm we're, drawing like, we're actually uh, drawing along at home. So. Okay, good. Yeah, please draw, draw along at home. So it's basically you end up with a, a graph that goes from the, you know, from the bottom left to the top right, always growing, versus when you just look at the spikes, you, you get a big spike and then a valley that was just as low as the valley before it. And so if you start really thinking about that, what you want to do is create consistency over, over time. And that's why the when is more important than the where. Uh, and, and some of the most, you know, the smartest marketers in the world have started focusing not on the, the height of the peaks, but the, the depth of their valleys. And if you're going to do that, that means you actually have to think about, you know, the, I'll give you a really simple example. If you write a blog post this morning, instead of vomiting it to, to you know, to, to really make it obvious, your stuff everywhere and just making sure it's on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram in the first five minutes... What really smart marketers do is they actually put it on Twitter and they wait for the the bulk of the consumption to drop to half of its peak before they then put it on Instagram. Does that make sense? So you, you basically are waiting for most of the people on the first channel to consume it before you start to promote it on the next channel. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. Let it basically let it run a good bit of its course on a channel so that you can build on that momentum. And in fact, you call this the marketing momentum curve before yeah. you go to the next curve. Exactly. Next That's right. Yeah. So if you do that, then all of a sudden you start looking at the valleys and what you're trying to do is make sure that the, the, the valley for any one channel doesn't hit rock bottom again before you've started to keep the momentum going back up. Um, and so that's what that is like the whole goal is just really uh, starting to learn how fast your content is consumed on each channel you promote it. So if you start this morning and look at Twitter and you realize that if you post a tweet with a link to a great blog post uh, and all the clicks happen in the first seven seconds uh, and there's no more clicks after that, well, then essentially uh, five and a half seconds <laughs> would be your half-life for that content <laughs> on that channel. Uh, and you've got to find another way to promote it before it gets to the peak of consumption and back down again. Gotcha. So, you know, just for those who are a little bit more technically inclined here, is and so that everyone understands what the goal of this is, because some people may argue, well, if I put UTM codes on my different distribution links, well, then I could probably track what's coming from which you know, different source on social. But is your point that we, by keeping it up there, it's just going to rank better over time because it's consistently accessed? Um, the point, it, it, um, yes, over time, you ha- you're building social proof from each of the previous engagements. So let's take something really easy like video. So if I put a video up on YouTube right now and I send you, you know, the link, Randy, and you, uh, you know, you're like, hey, I want to check this out. Uh, And you click the link and you look on YouTube and it's got zero views. 
that there's zero social proof for that video and you're you're highly unlikely actually to even watch the video because it has zero views so let's let's back up a step now if i had emailed that video to 17 of my friends and said hey i created a great video i put a lot of time and effort into this i'd love your feedback and they all watched the video and then I send it to you and you're the 18th person to get the link, you're more likely to watch it, like 12 times more likely to watch it than if it had zero views. And so the whole idea is to start with your most loyal audience first so that you start building social proof uh, as you're going farther and farther outside of your comfort zone. So if you're a brand with a uh, you know a thousand people on your email list, you should be first distributing your content to your email list. Like that's the it's the most basic opportunity to distribute the content you're creating, and they're the ones most likely to consume it and to regurgitate it on the channels that they find most valuable to get you that first hump and spike in in the consumption before you go over after the friends of those friends. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. And you know what? I, I can envision myself doing that even on my own personal Instagram following, right? I mean, you know, when I see something that's got like a hundred likes, I'm like, well, I gotta like that. Exactly. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone likes this thing. It's it's literally peer pressure with alcohol, right? It's, that's, you know, it's, it really is. We, we, we gotta jump in and we gotta follow suit. So so are you suggesting, you know, just to, to make this really easy for people who are tuning yeah. in and figuring out how do they how do they alter maybe their social strategies or their distribution strategies, are you suggesting to remove some of the automation that we're doing or to automate in more, you know, gradual steps? So like, you know, I know yeah. some companies may use a tool like Buffer or may use a tool like Hootsuite to schedule some of their social. Yep. Are you saying to just spread that out or to really dig in and monitor to see, okay, when does that drop off start to happen and then schedule the next set? Yeah. So I think, I think it's a combination of the two. I think the, the easiest thing to do right now would be to say, you know what, I shouldn't distribute everything everywhere at the same time. So, so if you're using a great automation tool, like some of the ones you mentioned, Hootsuite or whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, you can stick with using those things, but maybe you want to think about a really form formatted approach to that distribution. Like on Mondays, I'm going to distribute my content first on Twitter and I'm not going to do anything on LinkedIn. And I'm going to wait to see what that, that result looks like. And then on Wednesday, I'll, you know, I'll put it on LinkedIn and see if the, if that delivers, you know, what kind of momentum for how long. So I know for, for example, for me, I can put a post on LinkedIn and it, it takes about six and a half days for the content to run its course, which means about four days later is about the perfect time for me to post something else on LinkedIn. It's far less active than, you know, something like Twitter. So I'll tell you what it does for me. It relieves this constant pressure that I used to feel about constantly putting something everywhere. And now I feel much better about contributing to the community in a productive way, only putting up the best stuff. 
um, and then really making sure that it's it's delivering results over time. So yeah, the first thing you could do is not not publish everything everywhere at exactly the same time. And the second thing is over time, if you start that strategy, and even if you're very sophisticated or more sophisticated, I guess than 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 others, and you're using some tracking codes and some you know some smart analysis of the things you're doing, um, really honing that can make a huge difference in the amount of content you have to create over time. Because what most brands that have done this have realized is that you need far less content to be more successful than you did when you felt like you needed to have content every minute or every hour to put on every social channel everywhere. Yeah, I, I love that point. It's you know, it's so funny that every week marketers wake up and they're like, oh, we need the first piece of content for yeah, the people that are going to come visit us <laughs> versus realizing that they're just a new cohort, right? They're just a new set of the same people who are coming in. And, you know, you go to Disney World, I always say, like, it hasn't changed. The way you no. walk into the gates is still the ch- same, but, but they've perfected that experience. They've perfected that journey that That's you right. walk through in every way. Can you give us some examples? Maybe I, I know you're, you love examples and you, you seem to drop amazing ones. <laughs> sure. of of a company who's really executing well on this, just so that people can really crystallize how this is executed. Yeah, when you're getting an A plus. Yeah, sure. Well, let me. Um, I'll I'll use. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll tell you about Trish Wikowski. She's she's someone I, I actually met, and she's really awesome. Uh, she runs a small business actually called uh, uh, Fold Factory, and and it's very B two B. So these guys, you know, essentially um, they help designers create. Um, folded printed materials uh, and they sell software so their whole goal is to get them to you know buy software which is called uh, fold factory software um, and so Trish Wikowski who she, she's the chief folding officer by the way which is an awesome title she's a CFO uh, she she started creating videos on YouTube once a week called the 60 second super cool fold of the week now if you're not into uh, folding or design or direct mail, these videos are probably not that exciting for you. But she gathered this really high quality audience, about four or five thousand people a week, that watch these inspirational videos. And the, every video is designed to inspire you to want to create a cool new direct mail piece that's different than before. Which means now you need more software from Fold Factory, and you buy the software. So it's a really smart kind of marketing tool. But she used to promote it every. Everywhere on the same day, every Thursday when she she distributed it, she used to put it everywhere all the time as fast as she could, uh, and and she realized that the lifespan of the content was very short, essentially twenty four, maybe forty eight hours, depending on if it was going to be a, a you know a, a Friday holiday, then people wouldn't watch it until Monday, those kinds of things. But instead, she started being really strategic about her distribution. So on Thursdays, anyone who's subscribed to her email list. Um, four super cool folds of the week gets that email and she does not promote it anywhere else. So there's actually a reason to subscribe. If you want to get it first and be notified of the, the super cool fold of the week, you get it first on Thursdays. And it takes a, a basically people about three days to consume it to its half-life via email. So you know how it is. You get lots of email and then on Sunday you're like, oh, I can watch 60 seconds super cool fold of the week. You watch it, you delete the email and you move on. You can see that like she's really understood the consumption habits of the consumer she targets 
Then on Sunday, she puts it onto LinkedIn because she gets a ton of new consumers from LinkedIn. But remember, on LinkedIn, when you click that link to watch it on YouTube, she now has 3,000 views for a video that just got promoted on LinkedIn. So now designers are like, wow, 3,000 people like this video. It's got, it just came out last week. This is pretty crazy. And they watch it and share it on LinkedIn. She doesn't put it on onto, um, onto uh, LinkedIn again until the Wednesday before the next um, video is released. And she actually pays for an ad so that she gets even additional views from brand new potential consumers. And in between that, she buys some YouTube ads to get some also some new buyers. So essentially, she's got a week-long cycle to maximize one 60-second piece of content that has built her business entirely on YouTube. Wow, that's a that's a great example. I think I'm going to have to go out and now subscribe to the super cool fold of the week. <laughs> She's awesome. She actually wears a, a different t-shirt every week. So part of her gimmick that people come back to to watch is she has funny quotes on her t-shirts that she wears. So it'll say like, uh, honk if you love folding or... Um, like what stays in the in the bindery what happens in the bindery stays in the bindery and every single week for four years she's worn a different t-shirt and the t-shirts got so popular for in the print design world that people wanted to order them so she set up a zazzle account and every week when she writes a new t-shirt she puts the new t-shirt up on zazzle and she sells a few t-shirts every single week to people who want to wear them to print trade shows and design conferences and and they are really really funny so if you're in a in the print world and you walk around and say hey, do you know Trish Witkowski? Some people may say, I don't know her. But if you say she's the folding lady that wears the funny t-shirts, everybody knows her. They're like, That's, that woman's hilarious. I love that woman. That's amazing because she's actually used content and and built a community. And, yeah. yeah. And extended an entire- it with the t-shirts. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's exactly. a great example. Uh, so you actually mentioned in that example a couple instances of some paid advertising to support yeah. it. So yep. can you can you talk about how the ideas of paid, I'm sorry, owned, earned, and paid yeah, relate sure. to the, the marketing momentum curve? Yeah, sure. Well so um so I think of I think of the first uh the like the first concept of like creating a you know creating a piece of content and putting it into the world is essentially your owned content so you know if it's on a blog that like i think of the content you create as the own stuff this is my stuff that i created uh and you also have an owned audience and those are the people who have subscribed directly or are customers or clients of yours that you have an email address of that you've you know interacted with or done business to before that would be what i consider your owned audience okay and that's the first step of in the P in the marketing momentum curve. It's really promoting to those people, the people that you have an owned relationship with the content that you're creating and in inviting them to consume it and then watching how it's consumed over how long to start building some social proof. I I'm actually kind of disappointed at how many content marketers create content that, that doesn't work when they put it out into the world, hoping it'll attract new customers. But if they had just sent it to two of their clients and said, Hey, you know, what do you think of this article? Or what do you think of this video? Those clients would have told you exactly why it's not going to work when you send it to the rest of the world. So start with your loyalty loop, the people you own, the next piece 
is the social piece. And that's where you're essentially extending that to the friends of friends. And that's where I look at, you know, just posting it on social. The next piece is starting with paid. So now you've built social momentum, your existing audience, your owned audience loves it. You've earned a, a few additional, you know, views or cons, you know, cons, cons, uh, you know, content consumption from the friends of friends. That's some earned. But now you've actually got to extend that reach by actually buying access to new audience, given what you've learned in the first two pieces of this puzzle. So that's your paid stage. And the final stage is earned in my mind. It's it's really traditional PR. Most people think of PR at the front. Like, hey, I'm gonna, we have a new product announcement. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the press and issue a press release and we're gonna post some stuff on the blog and we're gonna write some articles and we'll have an amazing video release and we're gonna do this all at once. That's the vomiting concept. Well, the, the media world has changed so much that the media actually wants to know that there's social momentum for the, the kinds of stories they wanna cover. And you're more likely to get the press to pick up on a story if you can say, hey, look, uh, you know, we wrote this great blog post. It sparked a bunch of interest. We created a great, you know, travel log or whatever. Uh, and people are consuming this. All of a sudden, it's got 50,000 downloads in the last 24 hours. Um, you know, you might want to cover the best beaches in the world, you know, Today Show or Travel Weekly or whatever. Um, and they're looking to see that that has proof of concept already, that if they write a story about it, people are going to like it. So the last step is leveraging all of the momentum you've built to be able to take it to the biggest media outlets possible and actually get bigger and bigger coverage to essentially earn a huge, uh, you know, a huge new audience uh, that you didn't necessarily count, count on. And that's, by the way, that's only if the other steps have worked. Today's episode of Content Pros is brought to you by Uberflip and their weekly podcast called Flip the Switch, where they bring some of the brightest marketing minds together to provide useful insights, actionable takeaways, and a fresh approach to the content marketing challenges you face daily. Head over to bit.ly slash flip content to discover the tips and tactics that will help you flip the switch from ordinary to remarkable. Right. Yeah, that's a, it, it's a it's a great way of thinking about it and if if you were a content marketer and I don't mean you, I mean if one of our listeners <laughs> yeah. is wondering how they can how they can start incorporating this new way of thinking uh into their content distribution approach and convince the team that they work with that this all makes sense what's that what's that first step what is what are the the proof points where you can say look this guy andrew davis he's a really smart guy and he and he shows funny pictures and he drew in the air but we really need to try this so how how do they take that approach how do they get started I, yeah i think if you're going to get started with this the first thing you should do is is prove that your existing audience um, is actually able to move the needle for you for the next level. So even before you take it to your team, maybe, or if you're going to take it to your team, I think the first thing you want to do is say, hey, you know, we promote the content we create in the wider world um, every day, but we don't do a good job of really be dilig being diligent about sending it to the people we care about first and seeing how long it takes them to, uh, you know, to consume the content before we re release it to the rest of the world. Um, and I think, I, I think just that step alone 
um, giving your existing owned audience access to content that not everyone else has will entire will, will will prove very very rapidly to be really successful for you. It'll do two things. One, it'll give you great feedback on the content you're creating in a vacuum that'll immediately affect the quality of the content before it goes out and, and is promoted in the rest of the world. And two, I think you'll notice a, a much deeper level of engagement and sharing from your existing audience. Because I can tell you from personal experience, I don't have any data to back this up, but you know, I get emails from great people with great thinking. They send me something in their email and I click on the link, I read the article, I think this is a great article and I'm about to share it online uh, and as soon as I'm about to hit share, I realize that my network's already shared this. Um, it's right there at the top of my feed as well. Uh, 50 other people have already shared it. They've already shared it all over the place and I actually don't share because everybody else has already shared for me. Um, and I think if you if you just give your audience some exclusive content, essentially, uh, by starting early, it's a great, simple, low barrier way to uh, to start that'll net tons of uh, of results for you. Hey Zoe. Hey Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, him. But also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip, it lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. Man, there's there's so much amazing experience coming from this. It's uh, I, I literally I'm kidding you not as we're podcasting. I'm slacking our content and social team, being <laughs> like this thing's going live in a few weeks, and you're gonna have to listen to this because this is this is stuff. Uh, you know, I've got a million more questions. Like I got one quick one for you. When yeah. do you repost? your content on LinkedIn these days because, and, and I mean like actually yeah. is like part of your LinkedIn authored content when it's living somewhere else. Like, is there a golden rule on that? I don't know if there's a golden rule, uh, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I mean, I can also tell you, I've tried to avoid like the content duplication stuff, um, just mm -hmm. in general. Um, and I, I always feel like I, you know, I really want to serve my most loyal audience early. And, you know, I've been turned off by so many people who post the same thing everywhere all the time. And then really, you know, kind of over promote it to the point at which I, I you know, hide their notifications, I mute them, I, st you know, I'm, I'm out of their, you know, their sharing circle. And Brands are no different. I mean, it, I actually wrote an open letter to Square recently because Square does essentially the same thing. They only promote their advice. They only share the articles they share and they're constantly shoving it down my face. And it's a brand I really like and a product I love to use, but I got zero value out of the stuff they shoved at me. Um, and I think if they were using a much more you know, thoughtful approach to first ser serving their loyalty loop, the most loyal audience they have, um, so that those people would would really take it and help build them momentum for it. They would have, uh, you know, not only kept a, a loyal follower and fan, um, but it, you know, in a sense, you, you found a voice in in the stuff I was promoting on their behalf. Awesome. Well, I didn't answer your my, question though, Randy. By the way, it's uh, there's no right answer to yeah, your there point, right? right? I, 
Exactly. But, but I mean, these, these are the, the conversations that you're, you're helping to lead. And you know, I, I really encourage people to get an opportunity to, to listen to you speak. Uh, if people want to book you speaking, you, they can do so at akadrewdavis.com. You know, maybe I can even twist your arm to get you to speak at, at the Uberflip conference this, this summer in Toronto, to. which is going to be the end of August. It'd, it would be amazing to have you come to Toronto and anyone who listens to content pros who'd want to come up to Toronto and, you know, hear from some great speakers. We're going to have Jay Bear keynoting again. It's going to be uh, a really great experience. And uh, Jeff can kind of speak to, to the experience we created last year. Uh, but it was, uh, it, was, it was a ton of fun. Um, before we wrap up, though, we, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better, kind of behind the content world, you know, a little bit more about them. So, yeah, I, I've tried to dig up some stuff on you. Um, you know, I, I guess I had to look in different places to find the right thing because <laughs> the same thing didn't live in two places. Go figure. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pull up a few things. So first, I, I noticed you're from Boston. Um, yep. Or at least you live in Boston, and yeah. I'm going to date this podcast by talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the Super Bowl we can talk about for years. <laughs> How were you feeling, you know, in in that fourth quarter? Oh my lord! Well, the third quarter I was ready to throw the TV out the window, uh, and the fourth quarter we were all standing in the living room, like wondering if this was going to happen or not. It was really really intense. We had such a great time. Uh, watching the game. And I have to confess, I spend my winters in Florida. Um, so I was down here with a bunch of Patriots fans uh, watching in my living room in the nice weather. And, uh, you know, it was a really different kind of Super Bowl for me. But it was thrilling to see them win. And I know so many people hate the Patriots these days. But yeah, I'm a loyal fan. And, and I, I couldn't have been more proud. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you clearly like drama. Yeah, we've we've now established that. Yeah, and definitely. actually, as I was looking up your background, it looks like you actually went to school for TV and film. So yeah, you know, very yeah. suiting that you ended up, you know, a presenter, a speaker who's entertaining audiences. Had you stuck the true TV and film route, what type of genre should we have expected from you? Oh man, I was a childhood actor too, and somewhere online you can dig up like a a paint commercial I was in in the 1980s. But uh, <laughs> nice. I I, uh, I think um, I don't know. You know, I worked for the Muppets for the Jim Henson Company uh, uh, when I was in New York. I think I probably would have stuck with children's television or puppets or something. I mean, it's something I was really passionate about my whole life. So it would have been comedy. Uh, I'm sure, and hope, and I would imagine kind of family comedy given the Muppets. Although they do a really funny, uh, like R-rated show. If you ever get to see it, they were in Vegas recently. Um, that's hilarious. That's awesome. I love. You know, it's funny. Like I, I got kids, so there's there's something about going to see a kids movie versus the kids movie that was created really for me. Yeah, yeah like I, right. I have so such true. appreciation. Yeah. Going to every one of those of, of the ones that that connect on that whole other level. So yeah, I agree. The, the last the last thing, just to get an idea, and I know the answer to this, but uh, you know, your favorite method of presenting in front of an audience. Are you one to go with a video you talked about today, a PowerPoint, Prezi? Yeah, lining this one up for you. Yeah, Prezi. Yeah, I've been using Prezi for a long time. I think since two thousand and nine. And if you haven't used Prezi before, you should try it. It's P-R-E-Z-I.com. 
Uh, and it's an unbelievable tool. It's just like an infinite landscape that you can put stuff all over the place and then path your presentation. Uh, and it's, it's really something that I love to use and, and uh, have really become a huge fan of. Fantastic. Well, you know, Andrew, there's there's so much entertainment coming from you. It's uh, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, if, again, if people enjoyed tuning in, I urge them to check out everything that you've got at akadrewdavis.com. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, we've got a whole bunch of other podcasts. As Jeff mentioned at the beginning, we are part of the Convince and Convert family of podcasts. Ours lives at convi- at contentprospodcast.com but you should also check out social pros you should check out influence pros business of story and many more uh, great podcasts out there when you're downloading podcasts find us on itunes stitcher google play and the key thing is to let us know how you're enjoying this and uh, maybe taking off uh, today's uh, idea whether we're distributing this in a meaningful way on on social and what have you uh, but uh, until next time thanks for tuning in and uh, you know Please enjoy your day. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com. 